Welcome to Bob Got a Microphone, the podcast that exists because I, Bob Tarantino, bought a microphone. There are a lot of interesting people out there, and these are some of their stories. Did you ever have one of those friends who's just constantly creating things? Always painting, always taking photographs, and not like selfies, but like art. That's Kate Kelton. She's an actor, a painter, a photographer. She's an artist with a creative lineage stretching back generations and a CV that ranges from movies like Harold and Kumar go to White Castle in a decade as a Tic Tac girl to exhibitions and galleries from LA to New York to the UK. And she continues to create with an emphatic aesthetic that is unmistakably her own. We talk about being an outsider, how that informs her creativity, the benefits of going to art school, being in dialogue with her mother's abstract expressionism, and how technology has empowered her to connect with her audience in a way that gives her total control. This is her story. All right, Kate Kelton, welcome. How are you? I'm good, Bob. How are you? I'm so good. I'm I'm really glad to be having this conversation with you. It's been a while. Uh, Likewise, likewise. You sound so zen and so chill. It's just the microphone. It's It's the radio voice. It's a filter on the microphone. Yeah, it's all digital. So good. So good. So when I think of you and your career, I think actor and artist. So like if you have to fill out a form that has like occupation on it, like what do you exactly. put on there? <laughs> exactly it. Actor it? slash artist. Okay. <laughs> yep. Like is what, what's sort of the, what comes first or, or does one come first? I mean, for the last several years, artist has certainly come first because I stepped away from acting for a while, but now I've mm. been asked to act again. So I guess I'm acting again. That's amazing. <laughs> Which That's good. Pretty awesome. Yeah. I, um, I think that when I was, when I was a kid, I started with the art, right? And it became a real um, lifesaver when I first moved to Canada and I didn't speak English. And I got made fun of by kids at camp because my parents sort of tossed me in to learn the language. And it was hell. It was a sports camp. I was just like drawing in the woods by myself. <laughs> and then, you know, flash forward to going to film school after finishing arts high school and being a visual arts major and then being a film major. And I, it was a turncoat. I just got asked by a lot of people to be in their films because I was free labor. You know? So um, I got a reel and in the middle of film schools when my dad passed away and I just, I, you know, I booked one commercial where I played with a baby on a bed for half an hour for Pampers. And I remember that I got paid like five grand. It was just a buyout. I wasn't in the union yet. And they took me bra shopping for like a really nice, fancy bra in Yorkville. I'd never bought like a $300 bra before, right? I was like, are you kidding me? You were sold. Yes. I was sold. I was like, well, I see. I see how this works. Okay, let's do it. But, you know, I did it in a way to get a green card when I wanted to leave the snow behind. and I wanted Mm. to come to L.A. I, I knew that if I used my art, I would have to be hanging in moma in the louvre you know that that was beyond my reach it was actually easier getting onto primetime television which really makes my co-actors angry (laughs) (laughs) but yeah truth be told renewing those o1 visas every three years and having the threat of deportation hung over your head every time is not good for somebody like me who obviously loves her home environment (laughs) yes so for for listeners who can't see you're sort of you're doing this from like a meadow or something like you're in the woods as far as I can tell it looks amazing nature's nature's balm yeah it's amazing so you mentioned 
the Topico School of the Arts, which is where you went to high school. And that's sort of where our paths kind of diverged. I mean, we had gone to school before that, but I'm curious about that. Like, I find that the whole concept of an arts high school sort of intriguing, right? Like we don't really, and maybe I'm misinformed about this, but we don't really do that with like any other discipline, right? Like we don't take all the math kids and be like, all right, we're going to sequester you in your own high school. Oh, right? True. But arts, it's like, oh yeah, just send them, you know, we'll, we'll make a TV show about it. What the hell? So did you, I mean, Same. I yeah, right? forever. yeah. 100%. Yeah. So was that a good thing in retrospect? Did you mm. like, is, would you yeah. encourage other kids to do that? Like if somebody's I got would. sort of interested yeah. in the arts, yeah. yeah. Hands down. And you know, partly because I listen to a lot of my American friends talk about gun violence, for example. And yes, that's the difference between Canada and the United States, but we didn't even have fights at ESA. I mean, I've heard that there were some since we graduated. I'm sure we're not immune, but it was such a small school. And I think when you put the emphasis on the arts, instead of things like sports, it drives down this competitive factor, which is really drilled into kids everywhere else. And our yearbook wasn't even allowed to be called a yearbook. We didn't have enough sports in it. I was the editor one year and they told us it had to be called an art book. I was like, I'm fine with that. Where is this categorization even happening? Like, we don't care. But um, everybody at that school was taught, there are professional artists. Why not you? Why not you? And that Getting that in the crux of your brain at a young age, I think is formative when I think about people who graduated from that school and how many times I've seen them on the cover of Now Magazine or, you know, even <laughs> in Time Magazine, you know, like right. it's, it's pretty staggering to me. And I, I think that's why all, all morning we, we would spend on our art and then the afternoon it was the academics. All morning, like from 9 a.m. until you ate lunch, Hmm. that's crazy to me. How did they even fit all the academics in right. that everyone yeah, what else? What did you miss out on? <laughs> I graduated with a 98.4 average and now I'm like, maybe that wasn't such a big deal. <laughs> so it's interesting that you say that it drove down the competition. I actually would have thought if you put a bunch of artists together, they'd actually be more competitive with each other. So what, what happened there that that didn't end you up know, being the case? It might be the advantage of grouping all the arts together. I'm sure there was competition within the drama students for the main lead role in the drama production that 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 year or about murals who could paint the mural on the front of the school. <laughs> so basically, you know, I think because we had violinists in our stairwell and dancers running down the hallways doing pirouettes, there was a camaraderie and there was a bit more of a feeling of family right. and so everyone was just a different branch whether they were cousins or sisters or brothers you know yeah that's amazing all kind of had their place and all had their niche and pockets and yeah it worked that's great <laughs> and is that has that community sort of sustained itself like after you leave high school like are you still in touch with those folks or? i am still in touch with a couple of them i actually am trying to get one of them cast in this movie i'm doing right now and uh, another one actually two two people yeah it's crazy it's it goes that far back awesome. i especially like it down here because in you know, in the States, there's a lot of beauty queens from Kansas who get off the boat and, you know, in Hollywood and think this means I can be an actor. And then you think about all the Canadians who are busting their humps getting 
guest spot stars because they need the actual O-1 visa, work visa papers, the press, you know, the the resume to back that up. And even though no American has ever seen anything we've done because it's Canadian right. productions and no American <laughs> sees those, it looks impressive. It's a nice long list and sometimes you get some good tape off of it too. So, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, it's funny how the Canadians clean up down here. I think uh, it's a little work ethic thing, maybe humble thing. I don't know. It's a good combo though. So it's interesting. We'll pick up in a second about on sort of your childhood, because I think that's a really interesting aspect of your sort of story. But you, so you, you moved to LA after, after high school, obviously, but yeah. like in your, is it mid 20 kind of thing when you moved down there? No, I actually think I waited till after I was 30. I might've been 30 or 31. Okay. I really horrible at mental math. What was 2005 minus 74? <laughs> yeah. I think let's go with 31. Nice. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and so is that, I mean, the, the kind of I did stereotype. That, I did that conscientiously too. I did that absolutely on purpose because I was, um, like staying was, in Canada. Until, until yeah, then? it was, okay. it was the nineties and, um, blogs like pink is the new blog and Perez Hilton were a real big thing back then. Right. Sure. And they were tracking actresses. They were getting ex cons to work for <laughs> paparazzi firms with massive cameras, just hunting. I mean, you've seen this stuff now with the Britney Mm -hmm. documentaries they're just roving packs of animals screeching at you like banshees so that they get some kind of reaction creating this massive media thing of following actresses and I didn't right. want any part of that I didn't want to become like some club hopping girl who was famous for going to the red carpets you know right. I actually wanted to act so right. I yeah I wait I wanted to wait until I was sore sort of solid in my self if that makes sense yeah no that yeah. makes total sense i mean i think it, it especially la and especially just that kind of crucible where it's like all of these people are moving there la is such a rootless place in a lot of ways right like mm -hmm. everybody moves there with a goal and i can imagine that if there's that sense of striving and that sense of rootlessness like dealing with that when you're 20 is probably a much different proposition than dealing with that when you're 30 so I imagine it was just a healthier sort of move for you at that point. And I, I, it all sort of fell into place. I mean, I can't say that I necessarily planned it that way. It, it mm. just happened to be that that's when I did Harold and Kumar go to White Castle and Cal Penn wrote me my first visa recommendation letter. It really worked out well for me that his character got killed off of house so that he could go work with Obama <laughs> because I used that visa recommendation letter again and again. <laughs> that's the inside track that people that's are missing. Right. right. Nice. <laughs> And so do you, do you still consider yourself Canadian? Oh yeah, for sure. Especially yeah. here. I mean, I'm in a small town right now where I'd be willing to get a bet that everyone voted for Trump because the main employment <laughs> is the ICE prison facility down the road or Edwards Air Force Base. So everyone here is military. Everyone's got flags on the back of their trucks and shit. I'm like, okay, tone down the like crazy lesbian talk and like... <laughs> <laughs> weird freaky art references and the weed smoking anyway right. so but do you find i mean as an artist so I'm, I'm one of the things i'm sort of perpetually fascinated by is creativity but also the 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 role that kind of place plays in creativity so like having moved to a smaller town like are you creating in a different way than you were when you were in la for sure. And it's strange because I actually stopped painting for a little bit just because I got busy with the other stuff and I was shooting a lot of photography and I was doing a lot of, you know, just the moving stuff, getting getting the house set up and stuff. But 
the calm that I feel here, the weights that have dropped off my shoulders, the experimentation that I can do now, the playfulness that I feel, the branching out into more abstract stuff. And yeah, just feeling a little bit less hemmed in also by the gallery system and using archival stuff exclusively and only ever thinking in terms of profit and sell selling you know it's just it's a very business oriented town and then you kind of escape to cottage country which is what this feels like to me right i'm just perpetually on vacation or something along the weekend (laughs) i mean and so that's one of the things which i find really fascinating about you like following you on on social media like you seem um, not maybe compulsive is the wrong word, but like you're <laughs> constantly sort of creating. Stuff out there. Yeah. yeah, like is yeah. does is compulsion the wrong word? Like does that? I don't. I think it's it's really accurate because the the story that I keep thinking about is Patty Smith when she had kids. She stopped making music because she was you know she's dealing with toddlers. <clears throat> you can't exactly do both, uh, even if you're Patty Smith. She took. <laughs> Polaroids. <laughs> no, right. even everybody says, but she took Polaroids. And that's when she started her photography in earnest. And she said that sometimes the satisfaction of just being able to create a little bit of something artistic with the click of a button felt so good, felt like she was getting something out that she was missing because she couldn't make the music and she couldn't have the energy for anything else other than raising these screaming kids, right? And I don't have kids. <laughs> I can't imagine that. But yeah, the the compulsion and the need to keep putting stuff out there, even if I don't feel good enough health wise or something to, to create a new art piece or something. And then I'll take pictures and it still sort of feeds something. And, and yeah, I think there's an artist, there's definitely this like constant urge to input what you're seeing, regurgitate it through your system and put it back out into the world in the form of something artistic. Mm. My mom says, um, Vermehre das Schönes, hässliches gibt es schon vieles. I'm trying to translate this poorly pronounced German, but it basically means I make beautiful, I make more of the beautiful because there's already so much ugly. Hmm. See, that that's fascinating. Like, I love that quote because I think it's always striking to me. So as somebody who, you know, obviously is like an amateur fan of visual art it's always striking to me that that notion of beauty kind of gets lost in contemporary art in the sense that like it's not a goal or like i I very rarely very rarely see it excuse me as a as a stated sort of mission and so the notion yeah like the notion that you're sort of putting you're processing it and kind of trying to add to the beauty that's a nice yeah, I, I never thing. enjoyed the meat dress. You know, there was like this art. <laughs> there was a meat dress, and I was like, "Really? I mean, okay, but you gonna hang that on your wall and watch it rot? Like, good for right. you, great." Right. My mom taught me a lot about being able to appreciate uh, abstract art by telling me to approach it with the humor in mind. She was like, "If you find it funny, that's probably what the artist was going for," and that has been my key in to so many pieces that would otherwise just seem completely ludicrous from Christo wrapping up buildings, right? Like the two of them, it's so silly to put pink fluffy fabric over everything, but it's just like, okay, we got to celebrate the absurd sometimes too, I guess. But yeah, I was definitely born an athlete. I mean, my mom traips me around Europe going to gallery to gallery to gallery as a kid. And I think my synapses were just so blown open at such an early age by so much enrichment that mm-hmm. it put me in a bit of a snob path. 
And so, I mean, talking about your mom there, and I know in, in some of your work, so like in particular, I'm thinking of like your Century series from like 2019 and your Indomitable series from 2020, where you kind of quite explicitly are in dialogue with, you know, the work of, I think it was your great grandfather. And, you know, your mom was, tell me if I'm getting this wrong. She was like an abstract expressionist primarily. Your, your work has at least, (laughs) she still is. So, I mean, what I've seen of your work is, is, you know, mostly representational. I, I mean, are you, is that dialogue with, you know, the art of your forebears intentional or how, how does that you know the the craziest thing is that I always approach my art almost as if it's like immature kitty art compared to my mom my mom does the real art right like abstract is the real adult art and I'm just fucking around you know what I mean it, I'm making comics basically is how it still feels to me at some point but that that series felt like I I sort of leveled up a bit just because it, it hit such a guttural level in me and the Weinstein survivors and my own experiences in Hollywood and speaking to a lot of these women and hearing stories and getting re-triggered you know I mean it was a real emotional experience and so the fact that I combined my great-grandfathers and they weren't actually his sculptor he um he commissioned them but it was another two men that he had hired to create all of these um they were like heads with headdresses over 22 archways on the main uh either side on the main entrance and i was so fascinated with them when i went to prague and i saw them i was photographing them from the front uh from a three-quarter angle and the other side and planning on you know superimposing faces onto the onto the statues so that i could elevate survivors you know to the level of architecture and to the permanence really of the majesty you know (laughs) the gravitas that they already had lent it lent itself so well because the photos that i was able to find of these women when when the angles of the photograph uh, are taken from below because you're you're shooting up at the statue there's a superhero quality that when you shoot a woman like that too or Mm -hmm. even you know obviously a man too that that low angle gives you the hero shot is what we call it in film right mm-hmm. so uh yeah it's it's pretty badass being surrounded by a bunch of these paintings still because i feel their power like they right. sort of have this neat energy oh yeah um, like i mean the the they're so striking visually i remember the first time i saw them and i was like geez like those are it, it's incredible kind of how you've taken that like something that is I'm assuming they're carved in some kind of stone or marble yep. or something, but then by, by sort of superimposing or, or, or splicing in, I'm sorry, I'm not yeah. using the right photoshopping. terminology. Photoshop, yeah. let's go with that. <laughs> so, but then photoshopping those women's faces onto them, like they, they sort of are imbued with this real vitality, right? Like yeah. there's this real sort of sense of, oh, there's like, you know, like, like there was an actual human that was sort of was the, the inspiration for that face yeah. that you're seeing there and you're bringing that to the fore and I think that was really quite striking oh, thank you so much thank you thank you thank you <laughs> so good I mean the other thing that strikes me about your work when I when I sort of draw the comparison between your acting and your photography and your painting and acting in a lot of ways or like film I guess like filmed art is so in a lot of ways you're you're really at the mercy of a process Right. Like you're, it's very, it's relatively rare that, you know, one person is responsible for the entire thing just being created. Yeah. Right. Like you are sort of 
in a very vulnerable position, particularly as an actor, like you're in a vulnerable position because you're at the mercy of like the director, the editor, you know, the cinematographer, the fucking lighting person. Whereas when you're creating like the stuff that you create as an as a as a visual artist, that's just mm-hmm. your control to mold. time. Control, yeah. Is that like is that does that dynamic come into play at all? For sure. And I think that was even necessary in the beginning when I was acting because I would come home from sets being really uh, energetically exhausted, not just physically, but because of interacting with so many people on set and giving everyone my hopefully full attention and full energy. I would just be completely wiped out and drained when I came home. And I would want to just have that direct relationship between canvas and me and nothing in between it but a paintbrush and paint, right? And when I started doing OnlyFans, that actually became the most appealing part of it is being able to own production beginning to end. Right. So. <laughs> I in the in the moments where I'm vulnerable because I'm actually naked, nobody else sees it but me until I've polished it, edited it, framed it right, you know, g- given it a couple filters and then sent it out into the world. And that I can stomach, right? Like letting somebody else do that. No, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> so has I mean, that been? I mean, like OnlyFans <laughs> has that been? Or, or maybe if you could describe how that has. Like it must be a really empowering kind of platform in a lot of yeah. ways. And in, in, I mean, partly in the way that you've just described it, but it's also, you just couldn't do that like certainly 20 years ago and, and you know, 10 or five and years ago was harder, but now it, it's so easy to get that direct kind of connection with your audience. Exactly, exactly. And I, I social media kicked it off by almost eliminating the need for press and PR and and formalized interviews. You could tweet something and your fan base would immediately know what was up with you. Right. But for me, you know, selfies and taking photos and stuff and realizing at a certain point I was bored because I've taken 50 bajillion pictures of myself. Oh, now I can do them naked. Okay. Suddenly it's like completely new again. (laughs) (laughs) It just became like this creative freedom to explore basically every everything in my closet uh, that I own, except for this time it's open or undone or, you know, (laughs) and I have been booted off so many platforms for showing, you know, side boob or cleavage or like not even anything actually. Right. (laughs) Some prude reports me for solicitation. I'm like, yeah, really? Because I'm a whore. That's right. That's you nailed it. That's exact sex worker. Anyway, still like I wish I can't know. I'm celibate. I have a bladder issue. Um, so basically, that's the other thing. Because I've largely been celibate my whole life because I have this debilitating bladder condition. This is also fun for me because it becomes a way to release a sexual outlet without having to be in a relationship (laughs) it's kind of best both worlds (laughs) so but that's interesting too in in a lot of ways because i don't want to say or maybe i'll ask the question are you are you cynical about hollywood (laughs) having been there for 15 plus years yeah and so sexuality and, and women's sexuality in particular in hollywood is so sort of processed yeah right like it 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 kind of comes filtered so yeah. the end result that a viewer ends up with is something that it, like it's the end of kind of an industrial process. Yeah. Whereas what you're describing is a much more fluid and sort of artistic and kind of conversational process. Is that? Although to be fair, I use just as many post 
tricks, post-production <laughs> tricks. So there's something to be said about having spent 15 years in the industry and learning all the things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, makeup, lighting, angles, editing, post-framing, filters, you know, all the all the tools. Right. <laughs> I definitely, definitely use all the tools. But that's the thing, right, is that in a in a professional filmic setting you are you're completely trusting the dop and i've had sets where they wouldn't even let me see the frame they wouldn't let me see what i looked like and it was infuriating to me because the part of me that came from film school that wasn't just talent was like i will give you a better performance if you let me see what the hell i'm doing as soon as they put the oh what do they call it like a filter or some kind of a lens that they put over the 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 camera when i was shooting my tic tac commercials that i could see myself in it was reflective <laughs> and that's why it became this like cutesy little dance because i knew where my four frame lines were and i knew what play i had and what i had to dance with right and I think there's a lot of filmmakers in LA that have no basis of communicating with talent because they've never been actors and they don't understand what we need to make mm. ourselves better. <laughs> and that's frustrating. And that is a lot misogyny based too, because women I've worked with have been like, yeah, obviously go look, take a look. It's fine. <laughs> Without even blinking. Right. And I'm like, Oh my God, I love you. <laughs> is given the work that you've done as an actor and, and now the work that you've done, maybe producer is almost the, the best term to describe what you're doing. Do you have a desire to do that for yeah. other people? Like, do you want to direct and produce? Uh, not necessarily direct, but producing has been exhilarating. The director of this project that I'm hopefully shooting soon, she's let me take the reins in, in helping her produce this and, and contacting people that I thought might be great for the cast and and she's agreed with me on a couple of them and I mean that feels amazing because I've done that for almost every production I've ever been booked on and most of the time I'm scolded most of the time I'm told I'm not allowed and net, let alone you know being offered an actual producer credit what <laughs> like literally are you kidding me right now and it just uh yeah it's a night and day experience <laughs> that's hilarious I'm having trouble sort of reconciling like the Kate Kelton that I knew with uh, somebody scolding Kate Kelton like that doesn't really <laughs> compute, it was but, okay really, really hard LA puts you into this little tiny fucking box it is infuriating to anybody who kind of spends most of their life outside of the box right mm -hmm. and the only way that they'll let you play is if you play along with their games right and it was who soul breaking soul destroying shit for a minute there and i yeah i had to get out because it was it was killing me pretending to be this real conservative sort of narrow type right <laughs> I was just really I don't know in a in an industry or a profession rather where you lie for a living it astounds me that they want you to just be yourself over and over and over again right they won't actually let you act against type or do something that they find surprising they every casting director was like she's too sexy yeah we want a mom type she's too sexy and i'm right. like okay i'm gonna do porn oh now they want me to act again okay. <laughs> <laughs> right they keep throwing you curveballs so that notion though i'm intrigued by that notion of you as an outsider 
right? Because so just to pick up on something you alluded to at the beginning there, I mean, you, you came to Canada, your family were refugees from Czechoslovakia, if I remember right, you didn't speak English. So I mean, a that must have been really freaking traumatizing. And then you you went to art school. And then you But we have to talk about the school that we went to together, because I, I really, I have to tell the story of how I got there. Um, So Bob and I went to a brainer school, essentially, it was for extremely intelligent kids that were short bust in from across the, you know, entire uh, borough so to speak and um it was just for three years grade six seven and eight and I found it invaluable because I I really enjoyed sort of feeling like the cream of the crop right it was new for me because the school I'd gone to prior to that was uh no what was it oh my god I'm blanking something in Mimico though and basically it was the most international school ever there was kids from everywhere because the the neighborhood was just really full of immigrants and the principal in the last second last year or last year that I was there retired and basically they had this big assembly and all the parents were invited to sit and listen to some speeches and send them off I guess he made a speech about me (laughs) so basically he talked about meeting me with my mom when she was trying to enroll me in grade one after having come from Germany and not speaking English and not having taken kindergarten in Canada. And he was convinced I should go into special ed. And my mom was trying not to fucking panic, right? Because she was like, if you set her up like this for the rest of her life, oh my God, she's just going to think. Anyway, so basically I was bored and I couldn't understand what they were talking about anyway. And I wanted a piece of chalk because there was a giant, giant blackboard behind my mom's head. And I needed to fill it with a horse because that was my favorite thing to draw. (laughs) And I apparently started at the hoof and up the tail, across the back, ended at the nose. By the time I got there, the principal had changed his mind. He was like, she'll be fine. She'll be fine. This is the what? She just filled an entire blackboard with a horse. Like shit, right. this is gonna be she'll figure it out. Um, when he retired, he told that story and he told the story about how he had put me forth towards the English Islington Brainer program, right? Mm-hmm. And he was basically saying, I don't want you to go to the um uh what's the school where they become mechanics and stuff like the technical school that everyone was going to he was like you have to go to Islington and I yeah I feel like every school that I've gone to has been this weird like special after Islington everyone went to Martin Grove like to continue being brainers and I went to the art school right after art school everyone went to the arts university and I went to film school I was like okay I'm done with that so do you I mean, do you carry that sense of being an outsider with you? I mean, like you're not, so I mean, even just being in LA, like as a Canadian, yeah, is that? Yeah, for sure. It doesn't go away. It doesn't go away. It never goes away. I don't think because it just always feels like I'm living in this surreal comic book. Like it just doesn't, <laughs> does not seem real, does not feel real. It's the people here are such caricatures, right? Like it's honestly larger than life half the time. and. Yeah, it's a trip. It's a trip. I mean, you're hiking down Runyon Canyon. And you know when you suddenly realize that you're walking in step with someone? And it's a little awkward because you have to acknowledge it because you're not speeding up. You're not slowing down. You're stuck for 40 minutes. Like, you're going to be walking down with them. You might as well say hi. <laughs> I look over, and it's Jane fucking Fonda. Sure. <laughs> nice. I'm like, 
okay, we're going to have to talk about searching for Deborah Winger because you were fucking genius in that. And we kick off on this 40-minute conversation down the hill. Drew Barrymore, Amazing. same thing. I caught her right hiking the hills. And yeah, it's just a really surreal town for that kind of stuff, right? So no, it never goes away that you feel like this can't possibly be happening to me. Where is the candid camera? I'm being right. punked. <laughs> It's LA. I mean, I get the sense, not that I've spent a ton of time in LA, but I've spent a little bit of time there. I get the sense that LA is the kind of town where you always need to like A, be on, but B, sort of be performing in a way. Yeah. Is that... Nicole Kidman said it best. Nicole Kidman said, when I come to LA, I I feel like I'm not doing enough. I feel like I'm not accomplished enough. And she, had, she this was an interview where she was going to get some Oscar or something. You know what I mean? Like she's, <laughs> she's fine. It's right. fine. She said in LA, there's always somebody who's doing better than you. And so it feels like you're being constantly told you're not enough. And this is an A-lister like that. Right. Can you even imagine the trickle down on your psyche when it's, when you're nowhere near an A-lister, right? right. It's, it's damaging. <laughs> and is that, I mean, is that same sort of ecosystem, which sounds incredibly damaging, frankly, but is that present in the art world as well? Or is that sort of isolated to the yeah, film and no, TV I mean, world? I get in trouble a little bit. Uh, when I start really going into the art world in LA, because I do have a European sense of snobbery about it, where I'm like, it's the West Coast, it's still not New York, it's certainly not Paris or London, right? right. And so <laughs> I know that my mom has had a um, subscription to her local museum in Hamburg for almost her whole life there. And she goes all the time and she sees this cutting edge, brave European, you know, transcendental work. And I, never grew up going to the AGO because it always felt like this mealy, conservative, safe, mungy bread, white little safe box that, you oh, like know. Toronto, Toronto yeah. in the 80s. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, I mean, LA is certainly, certainly a notch up from that, but I, um, yeah, I still had some major problems with a lot of the art, art that I was seeing because it just felt to me a little in a little right. uh, yeah but there's yeah but there's certainly exceptions and there's incredible talents that come through because it's a major metropolis right so sure. you get all of the tours yeah amazing and so what are you working on like where i think you've got at least one exhibition coming up where can people yes. find your stuff i am actually really excited about this one thank you for reminding me because i totally would have forgotten <laughs> but on sunday on the 17th 2 to 4 p.m for the first time since the pandemic i'm going to leave my house and go somewhere uh, that has been advertised so come say hi and um it's christine showmaker's perceive me show this woman is phenomenal so she's an artist who gathered over 60 of her artist friends to create art pieces of her nude body. And she is a large woman and not at all a Barbie type that where it would be acceptable societally, right? To have a thousand freaking nude portraits commissioned of yourself. But it is so empowering. It is so beautiful to walk through the exhibit and feel the joy, the palpable, palpable joy in all of these pieces. And it's been traveling. So it's it's already had a premiere, um, in the south of the city I'm blanking right now but we're going up to Lancaster next and that's actually just an hour south of me so it's a, it's a nice little compromise I don't know amazing to go all yeah the way to LA. 
Send me the link and I'll, I'll put it in the show notes so that people I love can find it. I love that. It. That's amazing. And so sort of looking, I mean, not that I'm asking you to predict the future or anything, but sort of looking down the road, like in the 2022, 2023, what, what can people expect to see from, from you? I'm actually doing a collaboration right now with uh, Jeannie Davis. She writes for um, Diversions LA and Art and Cake, a bunch of uh, art reviewer sites. She goes to a ton of gallery shows. She's just an incredible writer and incredible woman. So we've been collaborating on some of the photography that I've been taking, taking here uh, of this glorious lake that I live on with these incredible diverse bird species and plant species. I mean, it's just, it's a nature wonderland here. Um, I always say that it kind of reminds me of the movie Legend before um, the devil comes and fucks everything up. <laughs> it's just <laughs> unicorns and flowers floating through the air. Right. A couple of snapping <laughs> but, uh, turtles. It's fine. Yeah, exactly. But so I've been sending her uh, videos and, and, and the odd story, I mean, the odd uh, photograph, and she is coming up with writing about it. So we're going to publish something where I can finally put some of my photography with words. Because for some reason, I, I, I'm a writer, I write journals, I fill a book almost every two months. But when it comes to fiction or any kind of commentary i don't know i get shy it's really weird i just clam up so right. it's been really nice working with Jeannie. she's uh she's got a lot to say <laughs> amazing another discipline for you to explore well that's i really look forward to seeing that I, I, as i said before I, I i mean i've i've sort of kept track of what you've been doing over the years and, and the Sentry series and the indomitable series i thought were just like mind-blowing i thought those were fantastic so kudos on 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 those and I, I hope they I mean I know they got an enormous amount of attention and I hope they continue to do so because they they were really spectacular works the crazy part is that that's actually how this um filmmaker found me because she mm -hmm. approached me for another project that she's doing called our culture rape culture I read about it in Hollywood Reporter because one of the Weinstein survivors that I painted um, is co-writing the piece with her and had recommended me for some of the artwork that they might need for the show, for the movie. Um, there, there's a painter, a character who's a painter. And she had called me up and we had this three-hour conversation basically talking about how disillusioned I'd become with Hollywood because of the misogyny and the reasonings behind where those two series came from, Indomitable and Sentry. And the next thing I knew, she got off the phone with me and she wrote this script. <laughs> so this script has been tailor-made for me because of the paintings. Oh. I mean, it kind of boggles my mind if I go back to like film school and realize that when I submitted that year, they weren't allowing people to submit films. We had to submit another art form. So writing, art, dance, whatever. And I was like, I've got art. I've got lots of art. And I got in on the strength of my paintings, right? I think the next year they backtracked on that because we broke a lot of equipment. They got a lot of tech kids in the next year, but bygones. <laughs> so, it's all worked out. Yeah, exactly. It worked well. I mean, yeah, that that feels really pure to me. You know, that felt right. like a, a full circle where once she sent me the script, all I replied was two words, I'm in. That's all. And I was like, okay, nope, you get it. You get it. Right. <laughs> I won't tell you more about the movie, but I can't wait for you to see it. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, I mean, I mean, that kind of serendipity that happened, particularly with respect to projects like that. I mean, that's really sort of a neat little, that's a nice little way to wrap this up, in fact. 
Yeah. So why don't we do that? Why we'll release you to your bucolic meadow there and (laughs) enjoy the lake. Thanks so much for doing this, Kate. This was great. Really appreciate Um, it. You are just wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. And your mellifluous tones. I'm just, yeah, I'm pretty, pretty stoked that this is going to be out there because I feel like podcasting is a new, uh, new endeavor that's really, really good for you. You're good at hoping. This. Oh, that's very Period. kind of you to say, but you don't need to. Thank you. Though. <laughs> this is great. Awesome. Thanks so much, Kate. Have a great day. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed the episode. If you like this podcast, please consider subscribing, leaving a review, liking it, sharing it with your friends, or inflicting it on your enemies. If you're still listening, you're probably the only one who's doing so. The secret number is 42. To claim your no prize, send an email with the secret number in the subject line to bob at bobgotamicrophone.com.